Hello everyone, Marcus here. How you doing? Uh, very excited for the show today. Um, so excited, actually, it was actually hard for me to sleep last night uh, because of the gentleman that we're having on the show today. Uh, he's actually a childhood friend. He was actually one of my best friends uh, growing up. Uh, we grew up together in a small town called Grand Junction, Colorado. Um, very, very excited for you guys to hear his, his story and and just what he's, you know, where he came from and and the things that he's went through uh, personally, like we all do. And uh, just very excited to, to share, again, his story with you today. So, Andrew, how you doing? Oh, very good, very good. Can you see me okay? Yeah, I got you, yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Well, Andrew, um, I want to introduce you to the world. Uh, this is Andrew Walter. Again, we grew up together, a uh, small town in Grand Junction. And uh, again, thank you for being on the show today. Yeah, great to be here. I'm uh, excited. Hold on one second. Can you clear up my, uh, my balding in my head? Area? <laughs> <laughs> you're, uh, you're still looking good, buddy. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, I, no, man. I got a lot of miles on this body. <laughs> I've, I've told you in my, and before, my head is so big that I personally can't go bald. So whatever <laughs> shampoo or surgery I need to do, definitely let me know. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, buddy, I again, I just appreciate you being on the podcast, uh, Life After. Uh, the reason I created this was I want to have a platform where people can come together uh, men and women and just share their life after experience uh, because I believe that we all go through life-changing life after experiences and I feel like uh, you know whether you you say it's an athlete or, or a man um, I don't know too many places that we can just come together and just talk and share and be open and one thing that I've noticed uh, you know in the sporting world is that you know when we're done with football or whatever sport it may be, um, there's a lot of lot of things that we're trying to figure out. You know, we're trying to figure out who we are, our identity, um, the next chapter. You know, a lot of us were blessed to be able to play uh, college sports. Um, some of us went on to play professionally, and no matter who you are, you know, the problem with sports is that there's always going to be an expiration date. And for all for me and you, obviously together. Um, our careers expired and so life after is where we're at now and so I just want to ask you Andrew uh, can you just kind of tell tell everyone about yourself and and who you are yeah we grew up together uh, I would strike you out in Little League all the time and, uh, <laughs> and throw you out when you're trying to uh, steal bases um, well, let me, I, let I wasn't me, a catcher let me, or stuff. Let, me, <laughs> let me let me interrupt though the problem was is that when we were younger we always played against each other until we got to high school obviously but uh, out of all the kids you know everyone's normal size and uh, you know, this kid named Andrew literally was 6'5 at probably age 10 on. And so I don't think it was very fair. And I know a lot of people wanted to see your birth certificate growing up. <laughs> Dude, it's just, I was a dominator. What can I say? <laughs> so, yeah. So, so we grew up playing together. Um, so, you know, but it ended up being football, I think, because, um, you know, you, you go where the opportunities are. And, and for both of us, we, you know, had a lot of opportunities, a lot of success in the football field and playing together. Uh, the only two guys really to come out of Grand Junction for a long period of time. 
uh, from the same high school. So there's a lot of cool things, same year, same high school. And it's a small town, like to put it in context, the whole county was like 100,000 people. Yeah, yep. Next and, biggest and, city was. Yeah, and, and to interrupt you again, Ranjo, is, you know, for me, uh, I, I went to Fruta my freshman year, and you actually, I think you transferred before your freshman year. But I, I remember specifically my uncle, who I was living with, he came to me and he was like, do you want an opportunity to go to the next level? specifically, you know, D1. And I was like, yes, absolutely. And he's, he told me, he's like, you have to transfer to Grand Junction High School because at the time, Grand Junction was 5A. It was the only 5A school in town. And we actually played the Denver schools that got more, you know, scouts and eyes on us. And so, um, you know, like everyone, we all play, you know, whether it was quarterback, running back, receiver, you know, the the you know, top positions in your mind when you're a kid. Uh, but I remember even as a freshman, I played running back and then I played quarterback. But when I transferred to Junction, I had to make the decision what position I was going to play. And you were, you know, like I said, 6'5 at the time. And so I, I handed the reins over to you, but I was your number one receiver. And so I'm definitely taking all credit. Um, <laughs> the scouts were coming for me and then they obviously right. saw you, you know, this kid that was so much bigger than everyone. But I definitely was your number one receiver, right? Dude, I think they call that jet sliding. <laughs> yeah, no, hey. you were. Yeah, uh, you were. Um, yeah. So, so the fast forward, uh, Arizona State. That's where I ended up going. I was born in uh, in Phoenix, so I had connections to Arizona State. Um, Bruce Snyder was the coach. They had come off a of Rose Bowl a few years before. Uh, really hit it off with him and his staff. Um, they got fired. Dirt Cutter came in. He uh, was he's been an NFL coach for a long year, a long time after that, um, and uh, a head coach and offensive coordinator. So a great mind. We had a great staff offensively and um, broke a lot of records. Uh, had a lot of success, and then uh, and then was drafted uh, to the Oakland Raiders in the third round, 69th overall uh, in 2005. Um, you know, we'll probably get into it, but making it to the NFL wasn't everything that I made it out to be as a kid. Um, and so it was very difficult in a lot of ways and, uh, played four and a half years in the league. And then, uh, and then the bell tolled and then, yep. then it was time to move on. Right. Absolutely. So just want to recap, because I know there's a lot of memories that I enjoyed, uh, from you and I growing up together. Um, I, I go back to our junior year, we actually went to the Arizona State football camp because uh, just like you said, sending out videotapes, that was something you had to do. Another thing that you had to do was, you know, go to as many uh, football camps you could over a summer. And I know you and I started doing that going into our junior year. And so we went down to Arizona State. I remember they called you and I into the office and literally offered scholarships our junior year. And I know obviously you had family from Arizona. That was kind of a, a childhood dream for you. Uh, but for me, to be honest, and I don't know if a lot of people know this, Arizona State was actually my number one choice because you you obviously we went to camp together, offered scholarships, uh, you committed there. And I remember at the time I said, I'm in like 100 percent, but I just want to wait. And for whatever reason, I know Snyder kind of was on the hot seat, you know, going into that next season. And literally the only reason I chose CU over Arizona State was because uh, Gary Barnett was brand new uh, from Northwestern to Colorado. And for whatever reason, I just chose CU. 
Um, but for you know, for me, that was a great childhood memory of you and I getting to go through that process together. So, and, and it was helpful to have somebody to go through with it. Um, you know, so, somebody that was going through it uh, with you together. So, um, you know, because if it was just me, I don't know that I would have really been able to, you know, understand what what exactly is happening here. You know, I understand the magnitude, and I want to move on and so forth. But to have somebody. Uh, you know, a great friend uh, that we, we knew each other forever, um, walk through that together uh, was super helpful for me. And then, uh, you know, at the end, we, we both made the right decision for for ourselves. Uh, and it obviously clearly worked out for both of us. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, again, back, you know, where we came from, small town, uh, you know, the opportunities and, and the platforms that are available today, that was not a, a, even a, a possibility. And so, you know, like you said, just having someone to kind of go through that process and just learn, it was it was great. Um, but to fast forward, obviously you went to Arizona State, I went to see you. Um, it was great to watch you over your career because at the time, being in the Pac-10, you went down there, you obviously became a starter, you broke all the records, um, had huge success. And it was just great watching, you know, my one of my best friends have that success down there. And then, like you said, you you got drafted in the third round, uh, number sixty nine overall, and you went to the Oakland Raiders. And you know, for me, a lot of people don't understand, you know, just being in the in the right situation, the right system, the right opportunity. You could literally have a you know a one or two year career, or you could have a ten plus career just because of those things that I said. And so maybe you could kind of share your experience of being an Oakland Raider, obviously at the time, with, you know, tons of turnover, offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, head coaches. You know, what was that? What did that experience look like for you? Yeah, I'll give you two stories that kind of sum it up uh, briefly. The first was draft day. Everybody thinks that um, – you know, for a football player, the NFL draft that day, getting drafted at the time it was the first day, they had the first three rounds on the first day was um, like the pinnacle. That would have been like the most amazing thing for a player um, that they could imagine. It really wasn't for me. My senior year, the last game of my senior year against our rivals, against U of A down in Tucson, on a, on a dead ball, false start, uh, center fumble, um, I jumped on the ball and blew my shoulder out. Uh, somebody landed on me, um, and I tore my AC joint. I needed surgery. So I wasn't able to do the senior bowl, which I had already committed. The combine, uh, I barely was able to get a pro day in. I wasn't 100%. And I had so much uncertainty. I didn't know if I'd get drafted. So I broke all these records and we had some success, never as much as I wanted as a, as a, as a part of a team. Um, and I give all the records back for a Rose Bowl as a team. That would have been amazing. Mm -hmm. and, and so I'm on the driving range hitting three woods off the deck as hard as I can on draft day, <laughs> waiting for a phone call because I'm, I'm just, you know, going, this is awful. Like I thought I would be a first or second round pick. Yeah. I, I thought I would have, you know, showed off at the, at the combine and, and really been able to, you know, show that I had some ability and, and it was sort of like crickets and it was kind of like, you know, w what's even happening here. And, and so it was, it was not an enjoyable experience. Now getting uh, the call on the first day at the time, I was thrilled. I didn't even know if I'd get drafted. Um, 
then to the to the Raiders, you know, I um, I hadn't only a few years prior they'd gone to the AFC Championship game uh, to, to the Super Bowl. Uh, Bill Callahan took them there, but it was kind of uh, you know it was a John Gruden team, but it was Callahan that took them there, and then. Um, uh, and but then he got fired, and then Norv Turner came in, um, and then that sort of ended up being the story. And Norv got fired after my freshman year. Then Art Shell got brought back. And then he got fired, and then Lane Kiffin got brought in, and then he got fired, and then Tom Cable got hired. I literally had four head coaches in four years. I had seven different play callers, and this is the other story that I'll tell you. I'm I'm scheduled to start against Carolina at home. Um, Greg Knapp was the offensive coordinator, had a great relationship with him. He's a great coach, a great guy, great communicator, great teacher, on and on. Mm-hmm. So literally five minutes before warm-ups, so 65 minutes before kickoff, five minutes before we go on the field, Knapp comes over to me and Knapper goes, hey, man, um, I'm not calling plays today. And I'm like, what? Who's calling plays? You know, the guy in the first row, what, what are you even telling me? And he goes, yeah, head coach wants to see you, Tom Cable. So I go in there, and Tom Cable's calling plays. Like Coach Cable, nothing against the guy, but I'm I'm going, have you ever even called plays? You know, when was the last time you called plays? We haven't even had a conversation on what do I like, what do I don't like. So literally in two and a half minutes, he's going, what do you like? For, for the game, like the yeah. day of the game. And, you know, that was, that was like the experience in Oakland to a T. It was people think, oh, all this, you know, professional. Now, don't be wrong. I love being a Raider. Once a Raider, always a Raider. I'm only saying that during the time that I was there, there was so much uncertainty, turmoil, transition, that we could literally develop no momentum as an organization. And uh, I think they've righted the ship in a lot of ways now. But But at the time, it was... Not what people think the NFL is. Yeah, absolutely. And and exactly what I was saying was people on the outside, they don't understand for us players just being in the right system, uh, the right, you know, coaching. I mean, there's so many things that play into that. And, and, in, and I know it's another conversation, but, you know, people get mad when players uh, like AB, for example, this is prime on exactly what's going on. He, he left Pittsburgh for whatever reason. He was in Oakland. Uh, things didn't happen uh, the way he wanted them to. I know a lot of us got to see things, you know, through the eyes of hard knocks. But for whatever reason, he wasn't happy and he wanted out. And so, you know, fans, they come up with their own ideas and their own opinions. And, you know, it, it usually goes back to the player because, you know, he's selfish and he's a jerk and he's an asshole, whatever, whatever those words may be. Uh, but really, people don't understand exactly what you're talking about. And I know because we played against each other at the same time, what was going on on a weekly, monthly and annual basis just on turnover alone. So, you know, for me, I didn't have that same um, atmosphere that you did the whole time. Obviously, we had Marty Schottenheimer. We went 14 and two uh, lost in the second round. We should have been in the Super Bowl. He gets fired. And then obviously, Norv Turner came over and took over. Uh, so we, I had a little bit of change, but definitely nothing like you, Andrew. So I just have a lot of compassion for you because I've been in your shoes and it, it's a business, you know, and, and it's a tough business for anyone out there. And then you add in all those things. I, I just couldn't imagine, you know, what you were going through mentally at that time. 
Yeah, it was tough. I I was not uh, the person I am today. So on top of all of the things, the instability from an organizational standpoint, um, internally, for me personally as a human being, I, um, I, I would say I was just not a good person. And I've said this before, just because you say please and thank you doesn't make you a good person. And so I was entitled, uh, arrogant, um, you know, lacked compassion. I um, uh, lacked gratitude. That's a big one that comes to mind. I mean, so many ways and so many people did so many things for me that I had so much to be thankful for. And I took a lot for granted. So um, instead of appreciating all the wonderful things that so many did for me, I think uh, in a lot of respects, and this wouldn't have made the situation um, from an organization standpoint any more stable, but from my own mind and for me personally, it would have helped tremendously, which was to have uh, the mindset that I do today, uh, which is definitely one of more humility and thankfulness and gratitude. Um, And so that is something that, could have certainly propelled me forward in a very tumultuous situation. And afterwards, you know, I landed in New England for a cup of coffee uh, in training camp in 2009. You know, maybe I would have made the team there. Um, and it, let's, let's say they released me. I had a, other opportunities. I could have continued to pursue it. Uh, but I was mentally beat down. I was I lacked confidence because of how many uh, upheavals and hits and just difficult times I had in Oakland. And, and I didn't have the right mindset. And so um, that really led to the end of my career. Right. Yeah, and, I, and I'll come back to that in a second, Andrew. But I, I really want to touch on what you talked about. Uh, and I appreciate you just being honest. Um, I think that's a huge life lesson just for men and women, athletes, uh, because the truth is, is that, you know, we all come from different places. Um, a lot of us are, are great and amazing in our respective sport. And along the way, when, you know, you're a great player, and I don't care what sport it is, but when you're great and you're doing great things, people, you know, talk about you, whether it's friends, family, coaches, the media, the, the local news, newspaper. And, and I think that's a hard thing for young athletes is when they're having success and everyone's telling them so how great they are, it's easy for you to lose you know, the gratitude, the compassion, staying grounded. And so I definitely wanted to point that out because I would encourage any athlete, male or female, to really be grounded however you can, you know, find someone, whether it's a a parent, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, whoever that may be, and actually lean on them. Because yeah, you are great and you're doing great things, but there's little things and little habits that you can form um, and they can actually work against you. Um, and, I, and I think that's kind of what you're saying is, you know, for whatever reason, you were that way. And when you were put in that position, if you had a different, um, let's just say, attitude, for example, you might have handled things differently in, in the environment that you were obviously thrown in. Oh, 100%. One of the things that comes to mind hearing you say that is I – picked this up as a kid is using negativity to motivate me and I don't know if it's because I saw it on a Michael Jordan video or something but you know when people would say you can't do something you're not good enough you're you're gonna you're not gonna play for me I mean I've had coaches sit me down and say you'll never play for me 
So it, I internalize that and use that as fuel to propel me. But the thing about that is when you use negativity to propel you, it can also destroy you. So I, uh, having the uh, uh, maturity that I do today versus when I was an 18 year old kid, everybody's saying you're really something special, you're going someplace, you know, this and that. And then you got the one or two people that say you suck or you're not gonna make it. And then you, you, know, you key into that and then you use that as fuel now it'd be more of a, um, you know, I want to be propelled by a positive energy, a positive reason, something love as an example. I love to play. I love to compete. I love to be around the guys. That is something that you can, a fuel that you can use to propel you and motivate you when you don't want to do the extra rep when it's 115 degrees out and you need to run sprints and everything like that. And, and I think it's more powerful than the negativity. Um, now, the negativity is, is, has fueled some people to make it to the Hall of Fame. But I also think that, you know, when, again, when the bell tolls and it's all over, I'd rather be sort of um, motivated by love uh, versus um, negativity at the end of the day. And when I was an 18, 20, 25 year old kid, I didn't know that. Right. Absolutely. No, I appreciate that. And, and that's, again, that's why I wanted to touch on that life lesson, because there could be a kid out there uh, today listening and they probably were in your shoes. You know, they could be in your shoes right now. And I would just encourage them to really think about, you know, who do they want to be remembered for and who do they want to be as a person, not the athlete, but as a person. So yeah. thanks. Thanks for sharing that. So obviously, Oakland was crazy. Uh, you were there how many years? Four years? Was it four, four years, years in, your, yep. in Oakland? Uh, you ended up in uh, New England mm-hmm. and just just share your, your experience with New England, because even today and obviously back then when we were playing, New England was a, a top powerhouse organization. They still are today. Uh, so kind of share, you know, obviously they were great and amazing, but I know the thing that was different for you was where you were at mentally. And so let's let's talk about that. Yeah, I, mentally I wasn't in a good place. I, I had an opportunity to play for my coach, my former college coach, who was the offensive coordinator at Jacksonville, Dirk Cutter, at the time. I talked to him and I talked to Coach Belichick. And... Um, I wanted to win. I would have loved to work with Dirk, but at the, Coach Cutter. But at the end of the day, I wanted to win ball games because I wanted to try to fall in love, back in love with the game of football. Because I, I wasn't I mentally was in a terrible place. New England is a place that you'll win, but you know it's not the kind of a place where it's going to be lovey dovey. It's literally, I mean, it's not like that at all. So. Um, I, I wasn't in the right frame of mind, and they uh, knew that. I mean, I'm sure Coach Belichick sniffed it out, um, you know, quick. I mean, six days after I arrived, I was playing in a preseason game against Philly. I played well, uh, but but my attitude that training camp was just not um, – just wasn't good. And so I got released. Uh, but the thing about my time in New England that really stuck with me is attention to detail and situational coaching. So for the football people, they'll geek out and I'll be very quick. But you never just run plays. It's never just let's work on our game. You hear coaches say this all the time. We got to get good on what we do. Let, let's master our thing. You know, let's whatever. Uh, that's not what they do in New England. It's situational football. So you never just run uh, rundowns first and 10. It's always, okay, it's first and 10. We're on the 20 <clears throat> after a kickoff. After a punt, it's the first quarter. It's the fourth quarter. There's, you know, it's it's uh, nine to three. We've been struggling today. We've got one timeout. You know, what's the? Uh, we're on the road. It's loud. 
Um, and it's in the winter. So, you know, terrible Balkan. So maybe the ball's wet. I mean, there's all these different situations where you're not just going to run plays. You're going to run it in a situation in the context of a game. And that's one thing, you know, as I coach kids today, and I would love to go back into coaching that is not emphasized on literally any level, um, to the degree that it is in new England. And I would totally implement that in everything that I would do because life doesn't exist in a vacuum, everything in life or football what have you, it, it, it involves context of the things going on around you. So Right, absolutely. And again, another another life lesson that I'm listening to uh, is, and I don't care if it's a, an, a young athlete, a current athlete, or even just a professional in the in the business world, uh, what I hear you saying is that you, you're encouraging people to become an expert, you know? Mm-hmm. Don't just go to work and show up. Don't, you know, come to practice and show up. Literally, you need to zero in and become an expert in your field and and really pay attention to detail because ultimately at the end of the day, that's going to allow you to be not only the best player or the, bus- the best business man or woman, but it's just going to allow you to become the best person that you can be. And I think, you know, too many times kids today, they don't really think about becoming, you know, an expert at what they're doing. The thing that I love seeing is that, you know, in, and it's only been, what, 10, 15 years, uh, but none of the things are available uh, that, you know, to us when we were growing up that these kids have today. And there's so many uh, opportunities for them to really become an expert. So the question is for them, whether it's in sports or in the business world, is that are you willing to put in the time and effort to become the best person the best athlete, the best business person that you can be. And, you know, I, I guess it's up to, to you individually. Yeah, it is. And um, to me, it makes me think of my grandfather told me this as a kid, and it's always stuck with me. You need to learn the why, not just the what. Mm-hmm. You may be able to tell me what your read is on this particular play. You may be able to tell me what the notes say on that sheet of music. You, you may be able to tell me, you know, what the formula is for, um, you know, uh, some chemical compound, but so what? If you read financial statements and you could tell me what the accounts say, so what? You need to know the why. If you can't tell me why you're going here with the football in this situation, then you don't really understand it. If you can't tell me why something is the way that it is, why does this chemical co- compound come together the way that it does, then you don't really understand it. So if you don't know the why behind something, then you can never really understand it and apply it. Yeah, and I think just to add to that, Andrew, the why is so important specific to what you're doing, but then also your life. You know, why are you doing whatever it is? And, you know, I, I know we see it on social media and and, you know, inspirational speakers talk about it. But I would just encourage anyone listening today to literally just just sit down and, and write out your why and, and literally figure out why you're doing what you're doing specific to your life. But then also your profession, because you're just you're just going to be so much more ahead if you can figure that out sooner than later. Yeah, that's a great point. You, you need to put it on paper 100 percent. Absolutely. So. We, we fast forward, uh, you know, you had an opportunity in New England. You were definitely were not 100% in because of the situation that you came from. And again, earlier when I, you know, opened the show, we talked about 
<laughs> for every athlete, we all have an expiration date. Some of us get to choose when we're done, like I did. Um, some of us are cut. Some of us are not resigned. Some of us could get injured. What happened with you specifically at the at the end of your career? Um, I know conversations that we had back then. Um, I know you had other opportunities, uh, but what did you decide to do? I did have other opportunities after New England, but I had no confidence. Um, my shoulder, I wasn't able to make all the throws that I could make before I, I hurt my shoulder. Uh, I had a knee surgery um, on my right knee, so my plant leg um, was always in pain. Um, I, had, I had some other surgeries and other injuries, and so, but all of it really um, made for mentally broken down, frustrated, no confidence human being. And so when I couldn't go out on the field and compete the way that I uh, wanted to and could in the past, um, I, I just, it really felt cheap and it felt empty and it felt like I, I just couldn't do it. I, I can't go through the motions. I, I'm just not able to you know, sort of half-ass something. If I'm not in it, then I can't really do it. I've, I've certainly never been able to, to do that. So um, the, the, the time came for me, and I remember saying to my dad basically what I just told you, and, um, and it, was, it was like, well, that's, that's the answer. And so um, it wasn't even a conscious thing. It was kind of like I just, you know, kind of shaking my head, like I just kind of a broken guy, and I, I don't – I can't really do it. I – I don't know what I'm going to do now. Huh. Yeah, right. No, I can't and, do that anymore. Yeah, and, and obviously that takes us right into your life after, you know, event. Um, obviously growing up, you played sports literally from a young age, probably, what, age five, six, wow. playing football, baseball, basketball, uh, you know, all world and everything that you did. And then literally at that time and I guess in that point in time, you you mentally said, you know what, I'm done uh, I'm mentally, I'm done. I'm physically, I'm done. And so, uh, for you, did you have another idea? Did you have a plan? Did you, I know you really weren't sure kind of what to do, but what were kind of, what were you thinking at that time? If you can remember? Yeah, no, I, I was totally lost. I was, uh, engaged at the time, um, to, uh, to a great person. Uh, she had her JD. And so I was kind of thinking, well, I, I don't know what I'm going to do now. Um, like you, I took advantage of every program the NFL offered from a career aspect, broadcast uh, boot camp to um, Stanford, all the real estate entrepreneurship programs, and I was totally lost. My undergrad was communication. Effectively, it was to be the very best athlete that I could be and get good grades, which I did. But college is there to put yourself in a position to make money. And I did that and accomplished that. Um, but then that career ended and I didn't go into coaching. And so I had really no idea. Um, so I went back because at the time I was with somebody who had a JD. I didn't go to law school. I went to get my master's in business administration. And so I did. Um, during that time, I was putting some business purpose loans together and I realized quickly um, the person on the other side of the table knew a hell of a lot more about business than I did. And that was a major risk that I need to mitigate and balance the, the, the scales. And so I had to empower myself with education. So that's all I knew. I, I knew that I liked lending because my grandfather did that um, late in his life. Um, and I, I'd been around it as a kid. 
So I knew I liked doing that and it was a business that I could do. Um, beyond that, I had no clue. I really had no clue. So it was kind of trying to just look, I'm going to start marching in that direction and start making course adjustments as you know things happen. Yep, absolutely. So again, another life lesson. Um, I know you and I are not the first, you know, people to be talking about this. Uh, but again, the the fact of the matter is, is that for every male and female athlete, whether it's high school, whether it's college, whether it's in the pros, it's going to come to an end. So again, over and over and over again, I want to encourage these young athletes to really start thinking about what they want to do. Because we, again, <laughs> no one's ever played forever, right? So if we know that, and that's 100% true, we're not talking 50-50, 70-30, it's 100% going to end. You need to start thinking about life after sports. Because again, it's going to end, it's going to happen. And of course, I've never been to every single university out there. But I know my experience at the University of Colorado, um, from being able to choose any degree that I wanted, um, getting into the NFL, meeting you know, uh, big name, you know, financial people that were just a part of the programs and opportunities that we had. Uh, there's there's so many opportunities for the athletes to literally engage, you know, and, and be a part of. And too many times, you know, we're like, ah, I'm not going to do that. Or, you know, I'm the star of the team or, hey, I've already got one big contract. Again, I want to encourage you to really uh, be engaged, be involved any way possible, because there's so many more opportunities that you have being at a, for example, D1 school or making it to the NFL. Um, and too many times we just don't take advantage of those opportunities. So for you, obviously, you found your passion after sports was was business. You, you found out very quickly what you needed to do to put yourself on a even playing field. And then kind of where did you go after, you know, you, you got in business, you were very successful. Uh, kind of where were you at at that time? Yeah, so um, two things real quick. One, what you just said made me think of um, a practical application. If you're an athlete and you're still playing, one thing, accept this, don't fight it. When you're done playing, people don't return your phone calls. <laughs> when, you're, when you're still playing, you're legit. And everybody wants to, if you're on the team, Everybody still wants to talk to you. So when I was a player, just like Marcus, you said, uh, I was maybe tired. I, you know, was focusing on football. I don't have time for any of this other stuff because, you know, I need to maximize my uh, time as an athlete. Yeah, but part of the way you do that is I would always hear people, business people would say, oh, I'm doing this deal. I'm putting a deal together. I've got a deal going. And it's like, I don't even, what does that mean? You got a deal. What, so what? Well, I got a deal too, you know, over here, you know, it's with my ribs, I got a deal going on. So like, I, what do you mean by that? I have a deal, I'm putting a deal together. So one thing that I think back as an athlete, I was, should have done is literally just go for a week in the off season and hang out, go to the office, get coffee with this, whoever, businessman or women, and sit with them and literally all day be their shadow, ask them questions. They take a phone call, they have a conversation, they hang up, you go, what did you guys talk about? Like, be a sponge, do that while you're still playing, and I guarantee you the door will be wide open for that for anybody to have you in. If you are, you're interested in medicine, you're interested in business, whatever, do it. Like, I cannot just do that, please. You will be so far ahead of the game. 
Uh, right. All it takes is a week, not even a lot, right? You know, even a few days, just do that. So, oh, so that that's a huge thing that I wish I would have done. But um, yeah, so then for me, uh, while I was in school, I also went to a bank as a credit analyst. I was jockeying a desk, but it taught me financials. It taught me credit and how a bank, an institution, a professional organization thinks about risk from a lending standpoint. It was an awesome experience, great people, and um, that really allowed me to sort of put together uh, more of a formal professional uh, real estate lending fund, which I did um, in very short order, raised over $2 million, put $7 million in loan facilities together uh, for real estate secure properties in less than, I don't know, a year and a half, a year, something like that. And then I uh, just finished the offering docs to raise $10 million and really sort of blow the doors out and grow the business when uh, we'll probably get into it. But I went through a tremendous personal loss in, uh, uh, in a situation and that sort of forced me to have to uh, reorganize almost every aspect of my life. So, um, but up until then, and um, that that's what I was doing. Right, absolutely. So again, you found your passion in, in business. You got you know deeply involved. Uh, you're you're putting deals together. You're raising capital. You're making money. Um, obviously, over that time, you're you're engaged. Um, and you know, I feel like things were going you know pretty well for you. You made that transition from life after sports to the business world. And let's let's just dive right into it. You know, you you talked about uh, again. You're engaged. Um, what was going on in your personal life, uh, like so many of us athletes out there today? Yeah, so basically I met a girl through mutual friends, uh, of all places, church. And um, we ended up dating, got married in about 10 months. Um, we didn't date for very long. Um, we uh, were married for two years, two and a half years. And um, long story short, she asked for a separation, which I granted. I was at my office. I got served. I go home and she cleaned all her stuff out and moved back to California where she was from. Uh, just so happens she was pregnant. Child turned out to be mine. Uh, she gave birth in California and they took jurisdiction over the um, child custody issues. I was living in Arizona. Our entire life and marriage had existed in Arizona, but because of a um, legal aspect that she had took advantage of, she placed about a thousand miles between um, myself and our daughter. And so I was forced with having to make a decision. Do I stay in Arizona and focus on my business and you know, on my dad whenever I can be, or do I um, do the long distance business thing and kind of move to California or split time or do I close down and move out here permanently in California now? Uh, that's the decision I made. Um, took a year to kind of come to fruition. It took a lot of soul searching and it was very difficult. Um, forget about all the legal aspects, but um, yeah, you know, there's some mental uh, health issues now that I'm much more aware of and uh, identifying in other people certainly myself, uh, but um, in other people, uh, narcissistic personality disorder is definitely one. And, um, you know, so as an athlete, um, you know, you have to be aware, the, 
regardless of whether or not people come through mutual friends and you think they're qualified or what have you, but just generally not pulling back, be aware of the, the people that attach themselves to you because, you know, um, you may not think like this, but a lot of people do is you're just a target. You know, you're just a, you're just a target, you're a mark and, um, you know, to get some money, to get whatever, um, selfish things people want out of. And again, I'm pulling back and talking about it from a high level. Um, but yeah, man, so it, it, it knocked me out. Um, when I got served at the office, the process server asked me how old I was and literally I couldn't tell him I was in shock. I'm like, I'm like, I don't even know how old am I? And like, you know, both of us, we played in front of 80,000 people and millions on TV. Like we know pressure, we know thinking quick and high pressure situations and loud and crazy environments. And here I was, dude, I was like, freaking, I don't even know. And I'd never, never felt that before. And so um, it was such a shock to the system and to me mentally, like anything that we've talked about before, this happening to me, and if it's happened to you, an emotional betrayal like that, I mean, dude, it's, it's like everything I've talked about before multiplied exponentially. Um, and so I was, you know, yeah, man, knocked on my ass and I could uh, barely get out of bed for a long period of time. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to go back and just thank you for for opening up because I don't know if you've actually shared that with anyone besides, you know, close friends and and family. But uh, I just appreciate it because I know there's a lot of men and women out there today. I don't care if they played sports or or not, uh, but they're in in a situation where they've already went through this just like you have or they're right in the middle of this. And, you know, when you're involved like I have and I know you and I have talked, you know, numerous hours about this. Um, it's it's devastating and it, and it's you know for me just like it was for you is one of the hardest things to deal with you know just mentally and, and emotionally and uh, you know I know people handle things differently um, I know some people don't th- do things the right way you know if, if there is an actual right way but for you it was it was obviously traumatic and you know I know the conversations that we had is you know there's I just kept telling you you know trust me uh, don't do anything crazy. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. It eventually it's going to be over. Um, obviously, you know, like myself, you have a child involved, so you're going to have to figure out how to work with that person for the betterment of your your young child. Um, but for for the people listening today, um, what advice would you give them? Uh, because I think you're you know on the on the tail end of it. I don't think it's ever going to officially be over because, like I said, you do have a daughter together. But I know, again, you out of your own mouth, it was very traumatic, just like it was for me. But what advice could you give anyone listening um, that it's going to be okay and there really is a light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, so uh, the, the probably the biggest frustration in all of this is the injustice in the legal system, uh, the family courts particularly the family courts I've had to deal with. Um, Here's here's an example. An attorney has her referrals that are agents of the court that make recommendations to the court that the judges in the courts basically just rubber stamp because they don't really have the time, the energy to go through and find detail each case. They're just trying to clear, clear cases from their desk because they've got so many. So if these referrals, just from a business standpoint, think about this, these lawyer referrals, these agents of the court get up to 
$20,000 per referral. So to do the work, to put a docket together, to send to the court that has recommendations on custody matters, as an example. You get 20 grand for this, and literally the amount of work, this is like a high school um, project. This is like 20 grand for doing hardly anything. Uh, you don't think that they're not gonna write a beneficial report so they can continue to get those commissions, for those referrals from those attorneys? You bet your ass they will. So there is so much uh, injustice that you will have to face after something like this happens that the, the, the best thing you can do is accept it and try to um, work in an unjust system. And uh, over time, truth always bubbles up to the surface over time. And it may take a long time. I mean, my daughter is over three years old and I don't have equal time um, yet because of some of the things that I'm talking about. And, and you know, I'm, everything you do on the internet is gonna be there for eternity. So I'm trying to pick and choose my words properly because you know, right. face the day that she looks at this. Absolutely. Um, but she'll know, and and if you don't come to grips with that injustice, then it will drive you insane, and it will cause you to do irrational, irresponsible, and potentially dangerous things. So practically speaking, that's one thing people can do. Just accept it and try to work in an unjust system. Right. And can I interrupt you, Andrew? Yes, tell, please. Tell me, tell me if I'm completely wrong, because you and I have Experience this, experience this together, obviously separate situations. But exactly what you said is I would agree with you, but what I would encourage, male or female, right or wrong, I don't care. Obviously, whatever happened to get to that point, I'm not here to defend or discuss that. But what I would encourage you to do is come together with your potential ex, your, your spouse, maybe currently, and, and figure out how to come to an agreement together. Obviously, that's a broad statement and I can't speak to every little situation on the table, but I know for me personally, uh, with my with my ex, we actually agreed not to use a, attorneys just for the reason that you talked about. And we literally, we agreed on everything until we got to financial matters, which is obviously a, a huge topic. And same thing, a week later, we come we couldn't come to an agreement I got served uh, in terms of, you know, she hired a, a super attorney. I had to go out and hire a, an attorney. And fast forward just 12 months here in Colorado, just in the first 12 months, because of exactly the matters that you're talking about right now, we spent $200,000. And I'll say it again, $200,000 wow. because of the system that I understand now because I've obviously never went, you know, through anything like it. But the way the system is, is structured, and even attorneys, whether it was mine or my ex's attorney, they're not, they're not getting paid to, to get deals done, to say, mm -hmm. hey, let's come together. This is the law. It's very simple. It's black and white when you're talking specifically to the, these matters, and this is what's going to happen. And guess what, you guys? We can save you $150,000, $180,000, because at the end of the day, this is exactly what it is, and this is what it's going to look like. But for me, again, fast forward 12 months, 200000 later, just, just in the first 12 months. And so I don't know if you would agree with that, Andrew, but I like to encourage anyone, <laughs> keep the legal system out of it, work matters out together, because you're going to save yourself a lot of money, headaches, stress, anxiety, 
again on down the list um oh dude 100 percent. yeah the lawyers are leeches man like like uh they're the only ones getting rich they're the only ones making out in this whole situation but like you can negotiate and try to con you know uh compromise and get on the same page with somebody only to the degree that they're willing to do the same because like here in my situation in california just custody not including the dissolution just custody Dude, she. How do you negotiate with somebody who says, "I want a hundred percent," and they get nothing, and and that's their position, and they're not coming off of it. You, so so the court, the family court goes, "Oh well, come together, meet and confer," and you got to do that a million times, and it's like, you know what? I'm, you you guys aren't understanding the situation. You're not listening. Like, you don't meet and confer with somebody who uh, is dropping bomb after bomb after bomb on you in uh, court, you know, she spent like 150 grand or more, uh, maybe 200 grand on just a, her and a, her super attorney in California on custody. Mm -hmm. So like, how do you fight that? I mean, so I got to spend some portion of that to just respond, not even like go on offense and file a motion. I'm just responding all this time. And so, um, yes, a hundred percent. If, if, cause at the end of the day, I mean, if you're that sort of, stubborn and narcissistic that you cannot like recognize the situation uh guess what both of you are going to have joint custody which guess what that's exactly what happened now the timeshare is not equal for reasons i won't get into but um age is part of it but at the end of the day all the things she was going for didn't get right so like what you, you just shoveled an entire future for our daughter into your lawyer's pockets yep. for what? Yeah, exactly. So, and, and that's my point is <laughs> at the end of the day, you, you necessarily didn't win. She didn't win, but guess who won? The attorneys mm -hmm. on, on both sides, because both of them made a crap ton of money, just like mine did. And now I look back and, and uh, trust me, I, I love my attorney. She'll, she'll be on my payroll until my kids are old enough not to be. But I really wonder how many attorneys out there, and again, I'm not saying my attorney was this way because uh, she's amazing, but literally they're, they're friends, they hang out, they travel together, they go on vacation together, and literally <laughs> we're the ones that are paying for it. So again, my point was, and, and again, I know there's so many things that are, play into it and who you're dealing with, but I would just encourage anyone, whether you, you believe you're the good guy, the bad guy, the good girl, the bad girl, whatever that may be, really think about at the end of the day, you know, are you willing to spend all this money and what are you really going to gain out of it? Yeah, exactly. Because if you don't, uh, you're going to be sorry. And, um, uh... Yeah, that's why I mentioned the thing about mental health, because there is an aspect of, uh, you know, five to eight, maybe 10 percent of the population that has certain things that cause them to behave irrationally. Uh, and if that's the case, then you just have to hunker down and give me a call because we need to talk. Um, you know, I, I can certainly you were a huge help for me going through this, and I, I'm certainly able to uh, help others going through this as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I appreciate you offering that because really, again, that's the point of this podcast is just having this foundation where people can come, listen, share their experiences. And then, of course, when they hear something like you and I are talking about, 
they might be going through it, they might be getting ready to go through it. And again, we just want to share our personal experiences with people because obviously I know, I know your heart, I know mine. And again, we really want people listening to have value from today because it could really uh, maybe shape their future and, and decisions that they make. So again, I, I just want to appreciate you, you know, opening up and, and being real and, and sharing that with everyone. Absolutely, so, my pleasure. So I want to fast forward. Um, you know, I, I know we didn't get too much into politics. Um, I'll just summarize that because, um, you know, I know you actually ran for Congress uh, in the state of Arizona. You personally did that because you really wanted to lead and actually change. And you found out that it really wasn't what you thought it was. And that's specific to politics. Do you want to just kind of summarize, you know, your experience in the in the political world for us? Oh yeah, sure. Uh, it's terrible. <laughs> I'll never do it again. <laughs> Why? Why? Dude, it's so. You know, the root of politics, poly is many, and a tick is a blood-sucking leech. Mm. Uh, and so, like that encapsulates it, man. Like, you're right. The heart and the reason why I ran for Congress for United States Congress uh, from Arizona is because I've never served my country and my community. I was never in Peace Corps. I was never in the Marine Corps. I was never um, I had always sort of just chased my own dreams. And I felt like I wanted to give back and do something that I could uh, benefit um, and something that I, I thought that I would be passionate about. Running for office is not about, you know, standing on the corner, championing your ideas. It's all about raising money. It's gross. I have no interest in that. I'll never do it again. Um, so for me, now it's more about you know just people and giving back. I think through sports, through coaching, those are better ways for me personally. Um, and at the end of the day, I, you know, just this whole political landscape is like become so vitriolic and so heated that. My interest in politics only extends to the degree that I can see the playing field accurately because I don't want to get run over by a bus that's coming through, um, my, whether it's investments that I have in the market, uh, you know, uh, the business cycle. Uh, I, I want to know these secular trends. Politics is part of it, and I think you have to know, but um, to, to really grasp the whole picture from a macro standpoint, but from a personal standpoint, I literally, I completely checked out. I know what I, I, I believe and have literally, you know, I'll vote, but like at the end of the day, um, if it's a couple of bad candidates, I may sit it out. Like I'm not, I may not participate because, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to throw that away now. I may end up voting and eat those words, but I haven't in the past and, you know, but I haven't always been right in the past either. So um, I don't know, man. It just seems like a gross kind of world to be honest. Right. Yeah. And, and again, you know, my point was just kind of summarize that, you know, that was just kind of, you know, something that you did after football. Uh, you were you were curious. Again, you're you're a natural born leader. Uh, you wanted to give back. You wanted to help to the community. And that's exactly why you got into politics, found out very quickly. That's not what it was all about and what it wasn't cracked up, cracked up to be for you personally. And so you you went through the, the divorce, um, you know, still dealing with some of those things now. So where, where's Andrew at today? Yeah, so uh, living in California, uh, my main job is, uh, is a sales job for a great company here in the East Bay. Um, I have a side project that's super applicable to what we're doing, what we're talking about. It's called COVID, which stands for Coaching Video. 
So COVID.io, if people want to check it out, here's what it is. Um, everybody's got, you know, there's different sports. Um, there's personal coaches for everything now. Uh, those are very expensive. It's hard to get to them. Maybe you don't even have one in your area. So you have cost, you have time, you have geography, and then you have um, asymmetry of information qualifying these coaches, um, knowing whether or not the coaches are available to you or any good. Um, to get training, so whether you're a youth, focus on that. You shouldn't have to pay, um, you know, $100, $150 an hour to get personal coaching. What COVID is, is you take your video with your phone or you send a link from a huddle, uh, team film, whatever it is, upload it to COVID. You'll get connected with a coach who has professional experience or major division one experience as a player or coach. They'll review your film and they'll give you personal teaching uh, for a fraction of the cost of a $100, an hour personal coach. It is democratizing private coaching for sports. Yeah, and, and Andrew, I, I just get excited when you're talking about it because I know in the past you and I have you and I have had conversations about this. Um, obviously with my fiance, uh, together we have five children ages six to 15. And it's just, you know, again, I kind of touched on it earlier, the, the opportunities and the platforms that were not around when you and I were coming up. Uh, but again, this is just another platform that is is amazing uh, that's available. And again, having kids and having all of them involved in sports today, it's it's actually ridiculous how expensive it is for for coaching and training. And, uh, you know, when you and I played sports, it was football and football was over. You, you'd go to f wrestling or basketball when that was over. You would go into baseball or track and you didn't even think about your previous sport until the following season. And now, you know, kids at age, you know, six, seven, eight and up, you know, these kids are playing sports year round. And so to be competitive, you really do have to have the coaching. You have to have the training and you literally have created a platform where it doesn't, you know, it really doesn't matter how much money you have or, you know, where you come from. You can literally take a video of your child, upload it to the to the platform, to the website and have a high quality coach literally from his home or his office watching that video of you and giving feedback and, and critiquing you and literally helping you whether you're a quarterback a running back uh, your golf swing you know i can keep going on and on with all the opportunities but it's just an amazing platform so obviously i i understand it i'm super excited for you um, i want to encourage kids to check out the website again it's uh, c-o-v-i-d dot io okay make sure you get on there check out the website sign up for a free membership and then literally figure out what you want to start training on and then obviously on the flip side is a coach you know any coaches out there in any sport get on the website sign up to become a coach and literally you know this thing is in my opinion it's going to take off and you know i'm just excited to be a part of it so um where do you see kind of the future, you know, of, of COVID, Andrew? Yeah, so uh, definitely professionalize it, as I've, I've mentioned other things. So um, we're at a point now where we need to partner up with some uh, venture seed funds in order to uh, grow and maximize the opportunity. 
I think the opportunity is is huge. Um, like you said, parents think their you know their kids are falling behind now because they can't pay for a private coach, and you know you shouldn't have to. So ten twenty dollars to get private lessons um, to be able to groove your game and get better and measure it and have your profile and come back and see like you know how, how have I progressed? What, what does my evolution look like? You know what am I working on now versus. 12 months ago, I was working on this. Look how far I've come. This is amazing. You know, there's so many aspects to it that allow you to grow as a player. And um, and, and parents can feel like they're still providing uh, a tremendous value. Where else can you connect with somebody, you know, like you or me? We played in the pros. You can have them watch your film and critique you. That's amazing. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and you can't and uh, on COVID. So yeah, so right now we're looking for uh, introductions, we're looking for conversations and ultimately investment from um, aligned seed funds and uh, angel investors who are interested in not only just cutting a check, but also participating, sitting on the board, being a resource for us and, and helping us sort of, uh, they, they embrace the vision, democratizing private coaching, um, for for all sports that that that's something they can get behind so that's where we're at and uh if they want to connect with me uh they can reach out to you they can also find me on twitter at underscore andrew underscore walter uh hit me up uh email adub at uh aw at covid.io if they want to send an email yeah that's a great and i again i appreciate you giving out your information um because Again, we, we explain the platform. Uh, kids, parents, coaches have the opportunity to be a, a part of this today because it's already launched, it's already live. But I know just from conversations, you personally have taken it as far as you can. And so now we need people to step up, whether it's financially, whether it's their background, and, and literally come together and be a part of this. Because I know just from my conversations with you, this isn't about the money, it's about being able to give back and help kids uh, and even adults across the board uh, have the type of training that they want and they need at a price they can afford. So obviously money and all that stuff, you, you need that to be able to continue, you know, plowing forward and, and building something amazing. But if anyone out there today, whether you personally want to be involved or you have a friend, a family member, you know, uh, you, just someone that you're thinking about like we all do, please share this information with us with them and get back in touch with us because we would obviously love to go into more detail on how they can be involved. So again, I just thank you for sharing that with everyone. Oh, thanks for giving me the opportunity. Very cool. Yeah. So Andrew, I just want to wrap up here and I know we've talked a lot, you know, your, your childhood and where you came from and going into high school, college and, and the pros and you personally like me and many of us out there today, you've just had a lot of life experiences. And so Again, if you could just leave any any words of advice or any tips or anything, uh, what what would that be? You know, to to wrap up the show today. Yeah, I would say uh, pursue truth. So one thing for me is uh, a life pursuit is to pursue truth, and um, you know the, the Bible says, uh, "You will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart." And so I think in a humble, uh, continuous pursuit of truth uh, is a life well spent. 
And so I understand bills need to be paid and that's somewhat uh, holistic. Um, however, that filters down and affects every aspect of life. And so I would, for me, that truth is Jesus Christ and a relationship with him. I think he is who he said he claimed to be, just the son of God and uh, savior, Messiah, uh, sacrifice for us to be able to become into a right relationship with holy almighty God. And, uh, and, I, and, and so for me, a pursuit, a constant pursuit of truth led me to that. And uh, not because I'm so smart, it was by his grace and, uh, and, and not because I figured it out, but that will never serve a person wrong, I think. So uh, it's certainly something that I, I try to live by uh, very imperfectly, but um, I, I really do think it is a noble pursuit because it affects all aspects of our lives. Absolutely. And, and again, that's, you know, for me, that's amazing because, you know, that's your truth. That's what you believe in. That's what probably at the end of the day, in your darkest days, in your darkest times, you know, uh, we're all looking for answers. And, and, you know, what do we do and where do we turn? And for you, I know that's how you were personally able to get through a lot. Um, because, like I said earlier, there really is a light at the end of the tunnel. And through Christ, you were able to you know, connect however that happened for you and literally make it out, you know, uh, to the end. And again, the end is <laughs> you, it is what it is. But um, I know, you know, again, personally, it's just helped you a lot. So I just think I want to thank you again for being on the show today, uh, just opening up and being real. Uh, I'm excited for, for our viewers to listen to this message. Um, definitely, I want them to check out the website the platform please share it with everyone and uh i look forward to the feedback well i, I appreciate it marcus always great to connect with you i love your brother and uh we'll have to uh see each other in person soon yes thank you and again just thank you for being on the show today and uh we'll definitely be in touch you got it man thanks everyone for listening today Please do me a huge favor and make sure you subscribe to Life After. If you could leave a rating and share this show with friends and family, this will help us reach more people who may need the help. It could even save their life.